Welcome to Flowcast by Trillium Flow Technologies, a podcast sharing expertise and insights on engineered valves, pumps, and actuators across power, oil and gas, general industry, and water and wastewater sectors. Tune in and experience the performance engineered difference. Hello and welcome to the Flowcast podcast brought to you by Trillium. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and today we're talking about Trillium's role in the growing hydrogen market. I am pleased to bring on our two special guests today. Simon Bradshaw is the Global Director of Engineering and Technology for Trillium, and Sankat Wolimbe is the Technical Development Manager for Trillium. Thank you both for being with me today. Yep, thanks. Nice. Thanks. So it's good to good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. So before we get started, if we can just get a brief bio from both of you, maybe Simon, starting with you. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, Trill- Trillium's uh, my fourth fourth pump or valve company. Um, I've I've been in the industry since I was an apprentice back in 1986. So I have what is probably the world's most boring resume, but uh, it it, um, it it's such a fascinating area in terms of you know pumps and valves that for an engineer it's it's you never lose interest. So for me, that's that's what's what's kept me here over the years. So. So that's that's my brief bio. <laughs> and what about you, Sankat? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I'm in this industry for uh, nearly 15 years now, uh, and uh, uh, throughout my experience, uh, I've been working on developing mal for uh, uh, many applications. And uh, I must say, like you know, uh, working on hydrogen application is is probably one of the uh, most challenging part of uh, of my uh, my career. And uh, yeah, I think I think I'm uh, very excited to talk about it. Uh, you know, uh, about about the uh, role of hydrogen in 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 this new area. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of those challenges, pros and cons. So let's start off with this. What would you say are the areas of the global economy where hydrogen potentially adds the most value? So, so I I was going to pick this this one up. Um, so the areas where the areas where it adds most value are where the existing technologies are hard or expensive to decarbonize. I mean, decarbonization is what everybody's talking about, reduction of CO2 emissions, that kind of stuff. Um, so even, you know, those areas that are hard to decarbonize, even when you consider other um, developing a- energy carrier technologies. And I just, I want to make this kind of, this is a, like a really key point is that the media often gets wrong or kind of conflates is that hydrogen, like lithium ion batteries that you get in Teslas and, and other electric cars, are energy carriers. They're not primary sources of energy. You can't drill a hole in the ground and hydrogen comes out. You can't harvest it directly from the wind or the sun. Almost all of the hydrogen we get today is derived from fossil fuels. So, you know, with that said, the the areas, you know, three... I guess, main areas that, that we in Trillium are watching. The first one is mobility, where other energy carriers like batteries are not really practical due to cost or weight. So you kind of think about, um, you know, shipping or air transportation. Um, that would be the first one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I, as I would say, like, you know, uh, hydrogen is, you know, the, the, the lightest element uh, and, and uh, has a very high den- energy density compared to weight, so it basically offering a great advantage for, for applications where weight can be an issue, you know, such as transportation. So basically what you can think of, uh, you know, 
you can have a high energy uh, fuel in you know much compact volume and probably uh, you know with a, with a less weight so it's definitely an yeah. added advantage for for transportation uh, uh, yeah. area yeah absolutely thank so the second one is, is is that we're kind of interested in is load leveling so we all know that that wind and solar are weather and time dependent right depends where the wind's blowing and the sun's out and you know that has got to the point now where the the price of renewable energy or renewable renewables generated electricity is becomes negative when there's more being generated and we can actually consume uh and the more we move to to renewables the more this is likely to to occur and it and I, would, I was doing a little bit of research, and in 2020, which is about the last year I can get data for, in the U.S., they saw negative prices about 4% of the time for renewable, you know, renewables electricity. Uh, so hydrogen has at least the potential to be a, a low-cost energy storage mechanism, assuming we can get the costs where they need to be. And then the, the, the final one, and the one I think we're really most excited about is is really on on difficult to decarbonize industries so um high grade heat uh or for example processing iron ore into steel you you may have heard in the news about uh using hydrogen rather than the the conventional technique which uses uh coke essentially um uh, you know another high you know another uh, fossil fuel uh so that's that's an area that we're that that seems like it's extremely promising and another huge opportunity is, is green ammonia so ammonia is is this one of is the second most widely produced commodity chemical globally 180 million tons a year are made and it's it's super important because it goes into making fertilizers which is what feeds all of us here and and the rest of the world um Right now, almost all ammonia is made from fossil fuel, essentially natural gas, and and that's a significant emissions impact. So, so that's my that's my answer for that that question. Well, let me give you this a follow up to the first question: What is the hydrogen value chain? What are the key elements that determine a viable value chain? Yeah, uh, I think I'll pick that up. Uh, uh, I think it's, it's probably the easiest one for me. Uh, so what I say is uh, uh, the hydrogen value chain is uh, typically split into uh, three fields. So the first is the production um, and then the storage and distribution. And then finally, which is uh, consumption and, you know, uh, the application part of uh, part of it. So uh, uh, a viable value chain, you know, cannot be determined by just uh, linking production to the consumption. Uh, uh, it needs consideration of uh, high energy efficiency, and losses, uh, then different economics, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, a geography. So each of these fields uh, require know-how to ensure safety, compliances uh, with regulations, core standards. And finally, uh, everything boils down to the operational cost. So I think all these parameters needs to be looked at uh, looked at carefully uh, to make to make uh, uh, hydrogen value chain uh, viable. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I think. Like. Um, is, is, is the areas to look at, uh, you know, uh, if, if the valuation needs to be a, a viable going forward. So let me ask you this and say, Kat, I remember you mentioned just in your bio that, you know, working and talking about hydrogen is, is a little challenging. So can you explain for the listeners, what are the main technical challenges in dealing with hydrogen? 
Yeah. So uh, uh, first of all, I mean, uh, hydrogen is not easy to deal with uh, due to its chemical properties and being the lightest and the smallest element of all. Uh, so from the design point of view, uh, uh, material selection uh, would be the primary challenge. So if I talk about the valves, I mean, you probably have uh, uh, metallic components and you have uh, polymers, which basically the seals and the packing. So uh, hydrogen basically diffuses easily through material uh, and it degrades uh, their performance in number of ways. So the phenomena called hydrogen embrittlement, uh, which depends on uh, variables uh, such as the temperatures, pressure, hydrogen purity, hydrogen concentration, uh, and basically the exposure time of, uh, of, of, of the component or of, of, of equipment uh, uh, in all these environment. So the embrittlement uh, basically occurs at a molecular level. So it reduces the ductility uh, of any material, uh, making it brittle enough uh, to cause the internal cracks and uh, um, uh, result, uh, resulting in a static uh, uh, load failure over the time. Uh, so this is basically uh, more down to the metallic part, metallic components uh, uh, coming into contact with hydrogen. Uh, but coming to the selection of a polymers, uh, which are basically used for sealing application, is equally challenging. Uh, and most common phenomenon seen in, seen in the uh, uh, polymer selection is a hydrogen blistering. So what happened uh, uh, during hydrogen blistering is the hydrogen diffused uh, uh, within metal builds up enough pressure internally and it causes the blister. And that makes the metal more permeable and eventually it causes a leak. So all these all these uh, uh, challenges puts limits uh, on on our material selection uh, when 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 design any equipment for this uh, application. Uh, but from moving on moving from the design point of view, if you talk about the uh, storage and transportation, uh, we know uh, liquid hydrogen uh, offers great benefits due to its energy density or volume. Uh, but the temperature point of hydrogen liquefaction is extremely low. Uh, and to maintain this temperature constant requires multi-level insulation. So as there is no insulation ideal uh, and the heat transfer is unavoidable, uh, which basically led to uh, hydrogen boil off. So if you have a cryogenic uh, storage tank, uh, just as an example, uh, uh, which has uh, a boiling boil off rate nearly 1% per day. So you will lose one third of the storage uh, uh, stored hydrogen uh, in a month. So it's a huge loss if you think about a uh, bigger scale. Uh, so to resolve this, uh, basically hydrogen can be converted uh, to its derivative such as ammonia, which which uh, Simon mentioned earlier, uh, which has which has higher energy density per volume, uh, and uh, it can be stored and transported as a liquid at a low pressure. So basically, uh, ammonia can be transported at low cost uh, by pipelines, ships, uh, trucks, and other bulk modes. Uh, but there is a caveat uh, that the ammonia synthesis uh, and uh, its a subsequent dehydrogenation uh, to release the hydrogen basically from ammonia requires a significant energy. So if you all say, I mean, there is a challenge from the design side, uh, there is a challenge from storage and transportation side, and you know, to resolve these challenges, the solutions could be expensive. And that's why basically the cost is also uh, looked at, uh, as I mentioned earlier, in throughout the value chain. So that's, that's basically my answer to the uh, challenges uh, in a hydrogen space. Yeah, you know, Simon, let me pose this to you because, you know, talking about specifically technical challenges, we heard from Sanket, but what are some of the macro challenges to utilizing hydrogen in the wider economy? 
So I was hoping you was gonna you were gonna ask that because I'm an amateur economist. So, um, <clears throat> so Sanke kind of noted earlier. I think that the 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 lack of base infrastructure is a really big one um, that I would draw attention to. So, for instance, the IEA uh, expects that the electrolysis capacity. This is a way that, that green hydrogen is produced from excess electricity that we kind of talked about earlier. They said. This year, that'll reach about uh, 5.5 gigawatts of, of capacity, which sounds like a lot, but by my math, it's only about 0.03% of the world's power consumption. So it's essentially a rounding error. You know, you, you, it's, it's almost zero. So there's a huge gap between what what is what we have and what is needed in terms of infrastructure. Uh, another example would be the uh, utilizing existing gas pipeline networks due to the concerns over embrittlement, which again, Sank had mentioned earlier, when hydrogen is introduced at high pressures. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of challenges. The, the good news is the landscape is slowly becoming more favorable. Um, you know, green hydrogen, you know, for example, requires very low cost uh, energy. For it to be you know, for it to be economically viable, and you know, when I when I look at Lazards who who do a lot of tracking of the cost of renewable energy, uh, the latest data I've seen is that even without any subsidies, new build wind and solar renewable energy is now cheaper than any other source, even gas-fired combined cycle power stations, which is what a lot of people have been building in the last you know five or ten years. So. That's a, that's a, like a massive reduction in cost uh, by about seventy to ninety percent over the space of just twelve years. So if that continues even a little bit, I I I feel pretty optimistic that at least we'll have uh, you know one part of the one part of the puzzle solved on infrastructure. Not that it's not the only one that we need to solve, but at least it's one part of it. Um, <clears throat> in terms of other challenges, so cost of hydrogen, as I mentioned, is still really high uh at least green hydrogen is still really high compared to compared to other methods of producing it which you 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 hear of various flavors but the main ones are are gray or black hydrogen uh, or or blue hydrogen which are which are generally derived from fossil fuels so they those those costs for green hydrogen are, are you know are, are likely to reduce significantly Depends on innovation and and other things within the marketplace, but it's currently still not cost competitive. Um, technological uncertainty. We know some of the technology that's going to work, but some of the some of the other pieces are still not proven at scale, uh, and they need to be before they're going to people are going to trust them and they're going to widely utilize them. And then finally. Another another one is just uh, policy and 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 the regulatory environment. You know, if, if the governments aren't aren't setting the long term expectations, then industry is not you know going to invest uh, the 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 capital uh, required in order to 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 make this transition. You know, because they they don't have the certainty that they're going to be able to make a reasonable return on 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 all of the efforts that they're putting in. So. So that's that's a very high level kind of view of the, the the challenges to to make hydrogen, you know, expand. So to play devil's advocate for a moment, I've read a number of media articles that make hydrogen sound really dangerous. So what is required to handle hydrogen safely? 
talking about uh, hydrogen flammability uh, when when mixed with air uh, uh, 4% to 75% uh, compared to 5% to 15% for natural gas uh, this means more care needed to be taken about uh, preventing a buildup of hydrogen indoors uh, where it accumulates near ceilings and overhead areas so uh, one challenge is uh, developing a low cost odorant uh, that allows human to detect uh, the presence of hydrogen by smell uh, mercaptan uh, used to make a natural gas smell so uh, basically i mean um, hydrogen has been produced in industrial environment and uh, some of the reports uh, suggest the biggest source of uh, industrial fugitive emission is flow control equipment uh, followed by tanks uh, so to meet uh, the stringent uh, fugitive emissions requirement for hydrogen product, uh, uh, it is imperative that uh, the product design is validated by rigorous testing, uh, making sure uh, leakage tightness is proven. And finally, I mean, um, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, hydrogen can cause embrittlement uh, and failure to uh, some of high tensile steels, meaning, uh, meaning that some piping material uh, normally utilized for handling high pressure gases cannot be utilized so these are these are uh, basically uh, uh, points to be looked at uh, you know uh, when when hydrogen uh, needs to be uh, handled safely yeah so we know that obviously there are some challenges there but you know the good news is there are ways around there there are ways to do it safely so what kind of breakthrough do you think is needed for wider adoption of hydrogen in the global economy so as, aside from the infrastructure issues that we, we kind of talked about earlier, um, I, I would view um, the widespread use of green hydrogen uh, as much of a, a, an economic network effect problem as a technological one. Uh, so, you know, as an aside, people, people kind of tend to confuse technology with engineering, right? And... Uh, you know, one one of the questions I, I I often ask people in interviews is, do they think that, for example, that the the space shuttle, the NASA space shuttle, is a is a good piece of technology or a good piece of engineering? And and a lot of people will say, oh, it's a great piece of engineering. Look what it does. It's really complicated and all these kind of things. And I would argue that uh, actually no, it's a terrible piece of engineering. <laughs> it's a it's a very cool piece of technology uh, in its own right, but um, the the just taking the the goal of it, which was to be a, a low cost way to get stuff into space, it it actually costs twelve times more to lift one kilogram into space than the previous system that it replaced, which was the this the the Saturn V rocket. So, so you know, engineering is about the art of the possible, and that's that's kind of what we what we need to look at look at here. So, what do I mean by network effects? What I mean by that is uh, in economics, a network effect is where the value or utility to each user derives uh, or is increased uh, the more users there are. So let's think of some examples. eBay, the auction site, you know, the more users you have there, the more um, people want to go there because there's more stuff, right? Same with Amazon, a similar kind of thing. You know, the more people use Amazon, the more sellers tend to congregate there and the more choice people have. So it drives, it's a positive feedback loop in a sense. Um, <clears throat> and you want one of those with hydrogen. Um, some older examples would be like landline telephones. I mean, if only two people had a telephone, what use would that be, right? He's going to call call, call the one person who has, has the telephone. That's not much fun. But if, if everybody has a telephone, now it becomes tremendously useful. 
of course, in its time, it was a it was a uh, a really useful technology for for driving the general economy. Uh, and a final one would be stock exchanges. So, uh, so it just like in those examples, the more users and demand there is for hydrogen, the more this will attract providers of equipment and services, which will in turn improve the cost and availability, and in turn attract more users. So it's a kind of circular, positive circular kind of thing. Um, so. Th the really interesting question for me is if and when that critical network effect will occur, and that's that's a that's a that's a much trickier one, um, because I'm not that smart to 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 pick that out, to be to be perfectly honest. But if you look at my Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about this in his his book called Tipping Point. He says there's three agents of change uh, that you need to be looking for: the law of the few which means that the adoption of a hydrogen technology by a few key users or people, uh, the stickiness factor, which means an application that makes people really, you know, it doesn't just, they don't just hear about it and then just ignore it and go on with their day. It's like, wow, you know, that's really cool. That's something I want. And then finally, the power of context, which means that the hydrogen technologies become common in the group that you associate with. And then, you know, again, it, you, you see people using it, you say, yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm going to use it too. Yeah. So Simon, now that you've kind of walked us through um, from an economic standpoint of, of what can or what needs to really happen there, Sankat, let me ask this of you. Can you walk us through some steps needed for the testing and the validation of valves for hydrogen service? Yeah, sure. So uh, basically, a uh, requirement for testing and validation of the valve is is down to the service media uh, that the valve will be used for. So now talking about hydrogen, uh, it has the smallest and the largest molecule uh, and has the ability to crawl through uh, very small grooves and cracks um, that could uh, cause a leakage. So if, if the leakage is within valve, uh, uh, such as a seat leakage, uh, then the process efficiency uh, would be affected uh, and it will cost to the operator. But if the leakage is to the atmosphere uh, through gland packing uh, or a body bonnet joint, then given the flammable nature of uh, hydrogen, um, there are chances of explosion. So to make sure the valve is leak tight, uh, a cyclic test must be performed. Um, so talking about uh, qualification and, and, and the standard for the test uh, specific to hydrogen service valve, uh, then they are yet to be published. But uh, considering the growth rate uh, of the industry uh, and the need for qualified valve in the service, uh, valve can be tested with helium uh, or a methane uh, for which the standards are readily available. Uh, that may suffice the need for a short term, but reliability and longevity uh, can only be proved by testing the valve with hydrogen. So now this is more about uh, checking the functionality uh, of, 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 of the valve or the integrity of the valve for the service. But there is another area to look at is uh, qualifying each and every material uh, for a hydrogen service due to the issues I mentioned earlier, which is like a hydrogen embrittlement or a blistering. So if 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 we if if the valve needs to be put into the hydrogen service, uh, it has to be uh, it has to be cyclic tested. It has to be qualified uh, with the uh, equivalent standard. It must be tested with the hydrogen to prove its compatibility for the service. Uh, and uh, the material must be uh, tested with uh, with 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 uh, with uh, the hydrogen media, so you have a confidence in the design. Uh, yeah, so that that that's it. I would say about it. So let's kind of uh, wrap things up here because we've heard a lot of the steps from 
economical side, from a technical side of just where things are with hydrogen currently and then where things might be headed. So where and how do you see Trillium contributing to the overall adoption of hydrogen as things move forward? Okay, so I'll, I'll take this first and then I'll, I'll, I'll let Sankit kind of, kind of weigh in with his, his part. But I, I think, first of all, we, we, we need to be, we as Trillium need to be cognizant of our kind of place in the scheme of things. The equipment we make, which is pumps and valves, which are an important but a small part of the hydrogen economy in terms of the monetary value. And as such, whether we choose to do or not do is unlikely to have a material impact on what parts of the hydrogen um, value chain that we're ultimately successful in. You know, we, we, what we do is just small. Is 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 not the big the big investment that people are making. So it, this is what I would call a a, a gravity issue. Which uh, what I mean by that is similar to the gravity on Earth. Whether we're just standing still or buying a parachute, the gravity continues to exist. Rather, Trillium, in Trillium, we as an organization, we need to be constantly looking for ways that we can utilize this, what I would say is frankly a seismic change in, in underway in global energy policy. Um, change always brings opportunities. So if we stay curious, to, to borrow one of my favorite engineering culture concepts, we have the people, we have the products, and with some level of planning and controlled risk, we can adapt to the circumstances as as the the value chains evolve. So, so that's that's where I think we need to be. It's it's it's, it's essentially being ready and having the agility to go there. Um, Sankar, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think I think I would echo on this. Um, I, I understand uh, deploying the right resources at the right time uh, would be the key uh, to an efficient contribution to hydrogen economy. Uh, as we know, the industry is 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 currently uh, developing, and so the standards and regulations, which is probably the most important part, uh, or you know, because our uh, products are governed by all the standards and regulation. So all I would say, uh, we have great intelligence on this topic within our business, and the product line uh, um, it can also be made compatible with the with the application with certain modification. Uh, and with this in hand, uh, we are keeping eye on how the economy is 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 uh, taking shape in the future, so we can adapt to it uh, as we go on. Any final yeah. thoughts you'd like to add here as we wrap up? You know, again, just to reiterate the last point that we made is that that you know we're watching we're watching this very closely in Trillium. We're ready to go, ready to go with it. Um, if if any of the listeners have any questions about uh, about the application of, of pumps or valves in, in hydrogen service, you know, we have we have plenty of expertise that we're happy to share with them and help them build the you know the value chain that's going to work for them. So that's I hope the takeaway that that the the listeners will have. Perfectly said. Want to thank both of my guests, Simon <clears throat> Bradshaw, Global Director of Engineering and Technology for Trillium and Sanket Wallenbe. Technical Development Manager for Trillium. Appreciate your time. Great conversation. Uh, interesting and exciting things happening and looking forward to seeing what happens in the future. So thank you both for being here today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thank Michelle. You. Thank you, Michelle. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the Flowcast podcast brought to you by Trillium. Once again, you can go to trilliumflow.com for more information. Hopefully, we'll subscribe to the podcast to be able to hear more interesting conversations like we have today. I'm your host, Michelle Don Mooney. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to have you tune in again soon.